Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Sipping on some murder. Bloody happy hour. Hey y'all, this is April. Hey. We're back. Oh, whoops. We are back. <laughs> it's Caroline. Who's that over there? It's... That's gotta be Caroline. This is your bloody happy hour, and we got a story for you. We do, we do, we do, we do. And it's another Waco. It's another Waco case. And let me tell you, this it's guy is wonderful. We're going to probably cut this out because this is going to be real old, but I've really been enjoying <laughs> my one day of court TV. Oh, the guy, the family? The okay. The guy who murdered his parents and dismembered their bodies. That will always be juicy. Tell me about it. I basically am on the jury. Okay. Are you the foreman? Maybe. <laughs> I don't want to take your, like, steal your thunder. <laughs> it's all right. My case is old. But I feel like since I'm watching it on Lawn Crime and Court TV, all these channels I can watch, I feel like I'm in the courtroom. It's about this kid who killed his parents, or he's being accused of killing his parents and dismembering their bodies. They found the dad's torso. Oh. They found him chopped off at the legs. Like in the thigh. How old is this kid? Twenty three. Oh, I mean that's a kid, but he's he was like living at his house, his parents' house. He was living in a web of lies. Wasn't he a Boy Scout too? Didn't it say something about him being a Boy Scout? Yeah, whatever that means. Is that where he learned how to cut? Probably. He used a he used a saw and an axe and scissors. He had all kinds of things, and then he. He killed him. He shot him in the back. He shot at least the father in the back. They they still can't find the rest of the mom's body. Oh. And their heads were burned in the fireplace. He burned. There's fr skull fragments in the fireplace of their house. So, what was yet, his motive? Because he was getting caught in all of these all these lies. Like he was. He told his dad he was going to college, so, or he was like going to school for this. And then he also had this job at some insurance company. And then he also got hired on at SpaceX. Oh, it sounds familiar. <laughs> saw, that's why I was like, it all sounds so familiar. And then he was saying like he the SpaceX job he got hired on to was in Florida, and so he was going to move to Florida with this, and his girlfriend was going to come with him. And Dirty the Chad dad, said that same thing, but he said the job went to California. Yes, he did. 
Do they know each other? I don't know if there's like some like website of like you, <laughs> lies that you, you come up tell. with and how long you keep them going. But they're like, you can lie about working at SpaceX for this amount of time because they're very shut down. Like they won't probably because it's so yeah, yeah. security, yeah. so much security. Yeah. yeah, that's somewhere. They look that up. They have to. And so he was lying about all these things. And then he like all of a sudden like fell down the stairs of his house and had to go to the doctor and was like supposedly had a concussion. But then he tried to say he was like partially paralyzed in his legs or something and he had this neck brace i mean all these like weird things and then the doctor like testified he was like no he did not have any kind of any kind of paralyzed (laughs) situation he did not need to be wearing a neck brace like he was fine he just went to the doctor like his i guess he was like trying to he was saying the doctor said he could not fly, so then he couldn't go take the job at oh SpaceX because he couldn't fly to Florida. So it's like he, this is literally how Dirty Chad thinks. Yeah. Because he would think he would come up with this story and then he would make up, like, I remember one time he, he like, continue and cut, continue. He like was chopping vegetables and he, cut his like slice his hand and had to go because it was really deep he had to go to the premier er and later on i was like i wonder if he did that on purpose so he could get out of whatever lie he was coming into or like so he could get oh like, some you were kind probably of tr- getting close to something or he probably just used that he didn't want to go to work yeah, yeah. Didn't want to go work or to get some kind of painkillers or some kind of drugs or something. Mm. It had to be w- which, yeah. Or to like, or to maybe he didn't even go to the hospital because it was like later and I had to go to bed to get ready for, ca- you know, camp in the morning. So, or he could have like said he went to the hospital and he really was like going to sell drugs or like go get drugs. Like something was real. Wow. Sh- but it was like everything is like he you can only take your lie so far. Like this guy could only take his lie until he was supposed to go leave to go to Florida, go work at his new job at SpaceX. But he had to come up with something to make it to where it like that couldn't even follow through. You know what I mean? But then, okay. So like not say shoot him in the back, but like shoot him. But why dismantle and dismember? I only listened to day one so far. It was literally, I got all this information in one day. Wow. Well, that's juicy. It is so juicy. Can you break it down but into he, a like, podcast? He called the, the cops and reported his parents as missing. He called 911, reported them as missing. Like, And he burned them up. Yeah. I wonder yeah. how long they were missing. Not that long. Okay. Uh-uh. They probably had a friend like me and said, you know what? That kid is shady. You better check the kid. Well, I don't think they had a clue because I think the dad was slowly catching on to like, he's actually not in school because the dad started calling the school asking about his grades or something. Uh-huh. And this, they were supposed to have a meeting with the dad, the son, and a per, and a, somebody who worked at the school. And the person that worked at the school was like, we, I've never heard of this kid. And so then the dad is like about to catch him in his lie about just about the school. I'm sure they knew he, I mean, I'm sure there was other things that they were like thinking were fishy. And then, so apparently he didn't want to get exposed. Moral of the story, just don't lie. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then you, if you do, you just own up to uh, it. You don't have to like kill, (laughs) dismember people. Yeah. 
Get caught in one lie. Don't make it a chain of lies. Web. Oh my god. Okay, that's a good court TV corner. I know. Maybe we will keep it in. So, who's ready for some Waco juice? I'm ready. Come on, so it's some Waco town. So let's start off with um, what about Waco? Waco is a very Baptist. Yeah. Very Baptist part of the state. We're the Bible Belt. Bible Belt. So, like, there's probably Baptist churches, like, on every corner. Basically. There's a steeple at every street. Basically. So, Matt Baker is who we're talking about today. Come on, Maddie. So, he's a minister at Crossroads Baptist Church in Hewitt, Texas. Okay. And he had returned home. I'm going to start with what happened. Okay. He returned home at, uh, to his wife, Carrie, and he had come home from running some errands and he finds her unconscious. This is April 7th, 2006. He walks into the bedroom and he finds her unconscious and calls 911. And this is the 911 call. So that is what we have. That's the 911 call. Next to her was a note. Okay. And it had been typed. And this is what it said. Matt, I'm so sorry. I'm tired. I just want to sleep for a while. Please forgive me. Tell Kenzie and Grace that I love them very much. Tell my mom and dad that I love them too. I love you, Matt. I'm so sorry for the past few weeks. I want to give Cassidy a hug. I need to feel her again. Please continue to be a great dad for our little girls. Love them every day for me. I'm sorry. I love you, Carrie. So firefighters and EMS arrived and they were unable to revive Carrie. She was pronounced dead at the scene early the next morning, April 8th. So it was just like 1 a.m., like mm-hmm. early, early, early. Um, and this note was found on the on the nightstand next to her bed. And uh, it was found along with an empty bottle of sleeping pills. There were two that were, it was a bottle of Unisom. Two pills were left over. The rest of the bottle was empty. And then there were um, some wine coolers also. Oh, was there a seventh hold, grader? Hold on with the wine coolers. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. So at this point, Carrie's death was ruled a suicide. And an autopsy was not ordered. Carrie Baker was only 31 years old. Wow. So let's go back to the beginning. Okay. Okay. So Matt Baker is, he was a, he grew up a Baptist. 
he from the day he was born. His parents are Oscar and Barbara, and they ran a group foster home in Kerrville, Texas. It was called Bunkner Baptist Benevolences. Mm-mm. <laughs> What's a benevolence? Can I tell you yes. a funny story? Please. When I made my mom, she works in Kerrville sometimes. Guess what I made her do? What? Go. in the book, there's the address. There's somewhere <gasps> you can find the address. So she, when we were covering this for book club, went to that, the, this home oh. and took pictures of it for me. And she posted it on our thing. Oh, <laughs> I make my parents do my dirty work sometimes. You really do. Well, <laughs> so this was like a foster home. So along with like Matt and his sister, the the Bakers had up to like eight foster children that they were uh, like of all ages and races that were living in the home at, at like at one time. They were like a, a victims of neglect and abuse. So. It was a pretty crowded home, I guess, you know. So Matt would say, like, this was his first understanding of love and acceptance of Jesus Christ. And then when he was six years old, he was baptized at Trinity Baptist Church in Kerrville. And he went to Sunday school. He sang in the youth choir. He went on mission trips. I mean, look at him go. The summer following his sophomore year of high school, he was at a youth retreat and he announced there that he would dedicate his life to ministry and he was going to go to Baylor University because where else would you go? Yeah. So in he started Baylor in 1990. So he declared church recreation as his major. I never heard of that. that. That's how you do it, April. Do you build playgrounds at churches? Church recreation, <laughs> I guess so. His goal was to get a job as a youth minister before moving on to lead a church of his own. So he started. He also started as a student trainer for Baylor for their athletic program. Did you know that? Yeah, you did. You've read no. That. No. I don't remember that. So he was working with the football team at Floyd Casey Stadium. Ooh, the old one. Yes. Old stadium. So a former classmate of Matt's, who is a well-known pastor in Waco, who was not named. And a lot of this information I got from the book. What? How many times am I going to say Can y'all clap right now for Caroline? I wish we had a sound of... Sound of... What is this? A sound effect? Uh, applause. Sound applause. Effect? Yeah, we don't. <laughs> that'll work <laughs> so he was working with the football team and one of the classmates who like i said was a uh, pastor in waco he said that matt just seemed like a phenomenal young christian man like look at him and he's like although like he had heard a couple of stories about matt trying to like kiss girls at parties you know he was like it's just a college thing it's no big deal and he also was like, you know, ministerial, 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 ministry, ministerial oh. students. Oh, okay. I'm using words. He said, you know, even, even students in ministry at <laughs> Baylor are horny too. Yeah. Okay. The so horniest. yeah. So what he didn't know was that Matt actually had been accused for sexual assault in December of 1991. During his sophomore year, a female freshman trainer for the football team 
she was found by one of the coaches at the stadium. She was crying hysterically. She said that she had been on her way to clean out one of the locker rooms. And um, Matt was like, oh, I'll come in. I'd love to help you. Okay, he's so nice. Well, as they headed towards the locker room, he was like, he had a broom in his hand. They kept poking her with the broom, like in the butt. And she just kind of was like, this is weird. Like, this is awkward. And she just kind of brushed it off. And so they kept heading to the locker room and she told him to stop. He didn't. And then they were finally inside the locker room. He pinned her arms behind her back, tried to kiss her, lifted her up onto the sink, spread her legs. She said she managed to bite him on the shoulder and escaped, but he grabbed her again and like forced her onto this bench and began like rubbing her pants like on her like rubbing on her pants like over her like Uh, vagina oh whoa like in a few minutes later she said she stood up uh he stood up and he told her i got what i wanted and then left i don't and he is gross yes if you can already tell so later in an interview he was asked about this incident. Of course, he didn't flinch. He said that he had been cleaning the locker room that night and there were like some other trainers there. He said he finished. He turned out the lights. He was thinking he was the last one in the room. And he says, she just came running and screaming out. And she's like, I, he's like, I don't know if like, well, I don't know what it was that frightened her. And maybe she was just scared of the dark. <laughs> okay. Really? They don't even know how to lie good. No. So after this whole incident, so he's at Baylor, he gets called into like the vice president's office and he's like telling his side of the story. So according to this vice president, this girl, he says that she falsely accused someone in high school of doing the same thing like this. And he told Matt, we're not going to do anything about this. Oh, and that was it. Vice president. And that was it. So, you know, this girl, she just, according to Texas Monthly. Okay. An article in Texas Monthly. A lot of this is from that, too. Baylor officials refused to comment about the incident, citing federal privacy laws. But there is no question that the university sided with Matt. Administrators typed up a report but took no action. The girl dropped out of school, moved away. Matt... Meanwhile, continued at Baylor and received an internship at First Baptist Waco, where he would eventually work at the Children's Recreation Center and help run the summer youth camp. Wow. So she had to go because she was so traumatized. She left. And he still gets to achieve, achieve, achieve. Yeah. Live down his dream. Yeah. Then in June 1994... A counselor named Carrie Doolin began working as a lifeguard at this summer camp. So she was like her friends described like she's bubbly and beautiful. You know, she's just like really fun and she loved being a Baptist. (laughs) So she graduated from Waco Christian High School in 1993. She originally went to Texas Tech for a semester But then she came back immediately afterwards. She said she wanted to go to Baylor. She wanted to major in elementary education. And she wanted to meet a good Christian guy. Oh, goodness. She wanted to get that MRS degree. Mercis. 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 
it was then that she was introduced to Matt at First Baptist. And guess what? She had no doubt that she had found her good Christian guy. Oh, my gosh. And guess what? Matt took her. He So he was a senior. He was super interested in him. He took her out on a date. And three months later, they Dang got me. married. That is always a red flag. Three months, and how old is she? Eighteen. She's a if she's a freshman. Yes, maybe nineteen. And he's a senior, so he's like twenty two, twenty three. I don't gross. know, but that you need to date longer. You're so young. Yeah. Anyway, three months later, they were married in the living room of Carrie's parents' house. Mm-mm. So Carrie's parents are Jim and Linda Doolin. And they I will say play a, lot a big of cr- part in this case. I will say a lot of Christian couples do that because they want they're they're virgins. They want to hurry up and have sex. Yeah. So their their courting and like marriage stage is real short because they're like, let's get to the honeymoon so we can have sex and not go to hell. I mean, that's <laughs> great. I'm not lying. Is but people still think that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Somebody literally just told me that a couple of months ago. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I, I thought that went too. You know, April, actually, you're correct. Because guess what? Friends assumed they married quickly for the same reason a lot of young Baptist couples do. Oh, They wanted to goodness. have sex. And yeah. they didn't want to commit a sin. I literally have that. So I wonder when he said, I got what I wanted out of you, if he really, like, finished because he hadn't had, you know what I mean? Like he, this is what I think. If you are like, you do, are, okay. If he is 22 or whatever, how old are you when you graduate college? I, I was old. <laughs> so if you're 22, 23 and you haven't had sex at, at that point, I mean, people start having sex when they're like seven at this point. I don't <laughs> even know. It's, it's real ridiculous. But he, how much porn do you think he was watching? And um, this is fornication. Well, he wasn't. That, no, he probably. I'm sure he ex- was. Oh, a hundred percent. That's why. I probably. Listen, I got a lot of theories. I'm like, you're you are now addicted to porn, and you're obsessed with trying to get some because you can't. You haven't got any. You don't have. Yeah. You don't. I don't know. He. I guarantee. Uh, based on what I've read about the story, he's just. He's just gross. Don't let Caroline run your abstinent teacher abstinence classes, please. She's going to say, just get it done. Uh, Yeah. I mean, there's no what (sighs) you're going to explode. You're going to start killing people or you're just going to be addicted to porn. (laughs) Just saying. What else do you want to know? So. Yeah, this is this is exactly why they got married. So the mom, Linda, she said she tried to get them to postpone the wedding for a year. But Carrie was like, there's no need to wait. She was horny as well. Yeah. So Linda was like, um, well, I mean, I guess she's like, Matt seems really mature and he's very polite and he seems really sincere. And she's like, well, I mean, he's also going to be a Baptist minister. So what, what could go wrong? Uh, no. <laughs> what could go wrong? Well, let me tell you what went wrong. A lot. Shortly after the wedding, 
The recreation minister at First Baptist received a report that Matt had grabbed a female custodian in the bathroom in the church's recreation building and told her he wanted to have sex with a mature woman. Oh, he can't She even was in herself. her 40s. <laughs> <laughs> I am f- mature. So around the same time, that pastor also received a separate report that Matt had cornered a teenage girl in a small room where they had like roller skates and he made like sexual comments to her. So he just does not discriminate. He wants 40 year olds. He wants teenagers. He just got married. So I'm like, are you not fulfilled? Clearly not. not. So now he's already like been this way his whole life, been like a creep and he cannot not be a creep. Mm, he is. So the recreational minister guy, he confronted Matt, but Matt, of course, denied everything. And because, like, the he the pastor didn't have any, like, concrete evidence, he, so he didn't have fire him. Okay, well, he, okay, there's this a Baptist General Convention of Texas. Okay. So apparently that's what like maybe churches are supposed to let this organization know if something is going on. allegation. Yes. So this organization, they coordinate activities of most of the state's Baptist churches. Fun fact, which I didn't know this, um, unlike some denominations, Baptist churches have no defined hierarchies and operate independently of one another. So there are no rules requiring a church to inform the convention's leaders of one of its pastors if one of its pastors have been accused of misconduct. Yeah, so like Catholics have, y'all have the archdiocese, I think, and they kind of control it down. Mm-hmm. They even like choose where a pre- priest is going to go next yeah. when they move, like all that stuff. So if there is an allegation, I think there's just something put in place to where that church has to be informed that. But, you know, it's like school districts. Sometimes school districts are like, yeah, this coach or teacher was accused of something inappropriate, but instead of dragging our name through the mud and having it be all in the news, we're just going to ask them to respectfully resign and they can go and, you know, do their yeah. duty somewhere else. It, it happens in, I think, in every profession. They said to avoid like defamation lawsuits that the leaders of the church, like they had that, that was their incentive to like keep their mouths shut when it comes to like questionable behavior and stuff. And which this is probably why the first Baptist officials said nothing about the allegations because like when other churches were calling to who were like interested in hiring Matt, he apparently this pastor was like, he didn't, he wanted to give Matt the benefit of the doubt. And especially since he was still so young. Um, and he said like, if the stories weren't true, he didn't want to be known as the man who ruined his career. Mm-hmm. So, you know, of course, Matt just yeah. continued climbing. Yeah. So now we're at 1995. This is his senior year. He worked as an assistant recreational minister at Columbus Avenue Baptist Church, where he took the job as the youth and music minister. That's a big church here in Waco. Yes. Like it's a, it's a big church. It's a 
well-known popular church. So he was, okay, so they're working at so many churches at one time. I don't, okay. He was the assistant recreational minister at Columbus Avenue Baptist Church, and he took the part-time job as the youth and music minister at First Baptist Church of Robinson. Yeah, but because usually there's not a lot of money in it, so sometimes right. I got to do yeah, yeah. multiple things. Also, to supplement his income, this is when he also started working at the Y. Mm. YMCA. In he was he was running an after school youth program at the Y. So sure this like was some youth. Mm, sounds a little suspicious. In June 1996, which is two months after their daughter, their first daughter, Kinsey, was born, he was actually fired from the Y. Do you want to know why? Oh, what did he do? Well, the director had received written statements from four females who claimed that Matt had sexually propositioned them. One of them said Matt asked her to meet him in the building's attic. I mean, in the attic of the Y? Like, okay, I don't. He supposedly said, I'm horny and I want to have sex with you now. Wow. That's his line. Yeah. And he's married at this point. Okay. Well, so the other one, another one claimed that while she was meeting with Matt to discuss like a business matter, he suddenly, he just suddenly said, I want to, I want to fuck you right here, right now. And touched, touched her and then put her hands on his crotch. He cannot even control it. But what do these people just like? I guess they just go to the supervisor and then they're just like, oh, okay. Nobody's well, knocked the shit out of him. He just kept doing it. No, nobody did. I don't know. So, when asked about these allegations, okay, at First Baptist Awaco, once again, he did not flinch. So, the people are asking Matt about this. He's not saying, he's like acting like nothing's wrong. He said that the recreational minister asked him about an encounter with a te- teenage girl, but he insisted that she, like the student at Baylor, was troubled. And mm. that he said other people were around the skate room and that didn't happen. Who knew like that didn't happen with that one girl. He denied any encounter with that custodian. He said that he insisted the minister uh, had never asked him about that incident. And, the, and then when asked about the YMCA allegations, he said he had no idea that there had been four complaints. And he insisted that they were false. <laughs> They're false. He uh, was actually asked to resign, but only because the people at the Y had asked one of the employees um, about her. No. He said, okay, he was asked to resign only because YMCA administrators believed he had asked one of the employees about her sexual exploits with her boyfriend. And Matt said it was all a misunderstanding he said, I asked her to stop talking about her sex life at work because the children might hear. Mm, he so he's around. just turning things around. So at this point, Matt just starts, uh, he starts making a point of like, this is one of the drawbacks of being a minister is that you are dealing with accusations from females <laughs> who could misinterpret a friendly hug or a lighthearted comment. For, you know, something that it's not. 
So they just asked him to leave, but nothing else. Like there were no false charges filed. Nope. 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 Wow. Nope. So yeah, the Y decided to press not to file to press any charges, and the written complaints were just put in a file and forgotten about. Mm. Yep. Same thing as same thing that happened at Baylor. Same thing that happened at First Baptist Waco. And then in 1996, Matt was accepted into George W. Truitt's Theological Seminary. So he was uh, accepted into Baylor Seminary School. Okay. Okay. Um, And nobody from the Y, nobody from the Baptist Church or from Baylor uttered a word about any of these past allegations. He was just, he just went on and he went on to get his first job as a pastor at Pecan Grove Baptist Church in Gatesville, which is near Waco. He bounced all over. All over. How many, listen, there's, he goes from church to church Uh because then in 1998, he became a pastor at Williams Creek Baptist Church in Axtell, which is another town close to Waco. Oh, yeah. So he's, I mean, I can only assume he's just like, doing what's making these weird comments to people. And then I guess is just moving churches. Yeah. Yeah. So the people in Axel, they just loved Matt. They loved him. They were like, he was, he was doing great things in the community. He was just so engaged with all of his members, obviously when <laughs> preaching on Sundays, ways than one. they say instead of him preaching like fire and brimstone, he like spoke mostly about forgiveness all about forgiveness. God is looking for people to be transformed. He's looking for people to say, like, no longer am I here. I'm, I'm just, just. For, it's all about forgiveness. It's all mm-hmm. about forgiveness. So Carrie, which is his wife, she led some, like, Bible study groups at these churches. She was always had the door open for every, anybody. She was just very friendly and welcoming, um, and she helped a lot of people like during this time. So she she supported him. She she was genuine. She said like, well, during these years, uh, she had heard about some of these complaints, but she just didn't seem really bothered by them. Mm, yeah, I mean, at least as far as that's what she seemed, which you don't really know yeah. what she. You don't know how much she knew and how much she let slide off her back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she told her, like she had told her mom, she told Linda, she was like, he's being unfairly accused about some of these things. And, and you know, he wasn't really like, was he really flirting with this? T- I mean, there's so many different things. So Linda, the mom believed her. She said she didn't have much of a reason not to. So her mom was kind of like seeing like on Carrie's side of the everything. Well, all this time, her aunts, like, uh, and her cousin, like, I guess her mom, Linda, is pretty close to her sisters and siblings. They uh, eventually end up forming this group. Well, I'll tell you about that in a little, little bit later. Charlie's Angels. Do you know about that part? I don't remember a lot, so it's all good. It's well, like, I'm so it. like these Linda's sisters, and they they don't like Matt. Nobody else in the fa- nobody likes Matt in this family. Okay, but Linda is kind of oblivious to it as well as Carrie. She's probably like trusting Carrie. Yes, 
She just what wanted she's saying it. and yeah. wants it to not be. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, she didn't have enough reason not to. So, uh, Paul Stripling, he was, uh, he was in charge of the Waco Baptist Association at the time, and he said, "Quote: All in all, I couldn't be more pleased with Matt and Carrie." He said, "Never once have, never once have I heard any rumors about Matt being involved in immoral activities." He said, as far as he's concerned, uh, he was one of their good young pastors doing great things. So, people, some people love him, some people hate him. Mm. Okay. So, we have 1998. We're just going through it. They have, uh, this, is, this is a year where their lives changed forever. Because this is when they had their second daughter. Cassidy. So Cassidy had just turned one when she was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Okay. And she went, she had surgery. She had stayed in the hospital for like 90 days. And she was fighting off all these complications. But she eventually got to go home. And she was like doing really well. And they were... They were super excited. I mean, she was, like, going to live. Like, that was the thing. She was going to live. Well, in the early morning hours of March, I think it was March 22nd, she, Matt said he walks into her room. Matt said he walked into her room and found her and that she had stopped breathing. Wow. Out of... So, and she, and that she was unresponsive. She was dead. Wow. And she was just released with like, everything's good. Yes. Everything's good. She's going to be fine. The, even one of the doctors who they had called, like, I mean, they called 911, they, ambulance come, they take, she was pronounced dead at the hospital. And it, I mean, Carrie was just shocked. She was shocked. Of course, Matt is just like, you know, if, if this is what's supposed to happen, this is what, you know, oh my supposed God. to happen. No. And that's not your first reaction. Maybe after a while, but that's not your reaction. He just seemed, reaction. according to all the things, the book, the articles, he just seemed like he just ha- never had any emotion about anything. Oh, yeah, I remember And that. he, uh, like, whenever they told the doctors or one of the nurses or somebody, they were just like, no, like she didn't die. She was not supposed to, like, she was not like, there's no reason for, for her, her to, to have stop stopped breathing. breathing. Yeah. Out of nowhere. So remember that later because that's, you know, that's a little, there's, there, there could be a little suspicious stuff going on there. So Carrie's devastated. She, she like kept holding on to Cassidy even after she was pronounced dead. She was like still like holding her in the hospital. And then at the visitation, she, she was, was and she was one or how yeah, old was she now there? She had just turned one. Okay. Yeah. She had just turned. I mean, oh. yeah. So like she was, she was getting, um, she was getting sick for no reason. And she would like just like then she would start throwing up, and then they kind of would send her home. They said it was a virus in her home, and then one time she was in the hospital and she like started having a seizure. Uh, so that's when they like, it took a little bit of time to figure out that she had a brain tumor. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So once, so she's there at the visitation. Carrie's devastated. She's like laying face down on the casket, like crying. And a few days, even after Cassidy was buried, like supposedly Carrie went to the cemetery and to the grave and started like digging with her bare hands at the mound of dirt. Like it's awful, awful. She just said she wanted to see her daughter one more time. So when this is the members of Williams Creek Baptist Church, they heard that Carrie was not getting out of bed. She like they came by our house every day with food, flowers, and in memory of Cassidy, the church built an outdoor prayer garden. Mm. So this is where Carrie would go and she would stand. She's like crying and just kind of remember her daughter. And then this is one afternoon, according to Matt, like, okay, so Carrie's apparently like super depressed. I mean, obviously your daughter, your child just died. And, but Matt starts painting this picture that like Carrie is majorly depressed. Like she's, he Um, just, he starts, she is, but he continues after a little bit to keep on. So he says that she ran out of the house one day with a knife, mumbling something that she's going to end things. She's going to end things. And he ended up finding her at this church playground and they ended up just crying together and he brought her back home. Oh, goodness. So he also, he just talks about how he does everything. He he did everything for the kids. He bathed the kids. He made the kids lunch. He did, took the kids here. He did this. But why are you bragging about that? Like, it actually, your mom, like, that a mom just lost their baby. Yeah. You should want to do that to let her cope with her loss. Yeah. He, no, he doesn't. He has no. Mm-mm. So then since... Williams Creek Church had so many memories of Cassidy. Matt and Carrie decided it would be be best if they moved Mm -hmm. once again. So in 2000, he became the pastor at First Baptist Church in Riesel, another town near Waco. Just bouncing all around. And this is where Carrie gave birth to her second or her third daughter, Mm -hmm. Grace. Mm -hmm. So they have two daughters now, Mm -hmm. one that's died and another two. Kinsey and Grace. So two years after the birth of their daughter, Matt graduated from Truett from the seminary school, and he became the pastor for North Lake Baptist in Dallas. And so now they're in Dallas. Oh. And Carrie started working at on her master's degree in leadership and management from Dallas Baptist University. Okay. DBU. DBU. But in 2005, April, they moved back to Waco. How long did that last? Uh, I 2000, Riesel, 2002, uh, he graduated and they went to Dallas. In 2005, they're back, back in Waco. Wow. So they moved back to Waco and he was telling people that Carrie just missed being close to her parents and Cassidy's grave. So you left because you were you didn't want to be around where she mm-hmm. died, but now you came back because you want to be around. I mean, this is probably more accusations. Yeah. So Matt accepted a job as the chaplain for Waco Center for Youth, was which is a residential treatment facility for emotionally disturbed adolescents. And he was asked to be the pastor of Crossroads Baptist in Hewitt. 
the same church that Carrie's parents attended. And this was a very small church, like about 50 people coming on Sundays. So they were really excited to have Matt there to help him grow. Okay. Oh, so they started at this new church, Crossroads Baptist. He um, started to bring in new families. Oh, wait, you have to have a mental health to be at Waco Center for Youth. Like, it just can't be a normal. So it provides psychiatric residential treatment for adolescents with severe emotional or behavioral disorders that have experienced dysfunction. Okay. Oh. Yeah, these kids, they, because we used to live by Cameron, it's right by Cameron Park, so they would, like, hop the fence, escape, and, like, be right there in Cameron Park, and they'd find mm-hmm. all the drugs and cigarettes they wanted. Oh, hell. And then they went back after that? Maybe. Well, Matt began bringing, bringing like, all these new families in, and Carrie was teaching, like, Sunday school at the church and leading Bible studies, and then she also started teaching at an elementary school. Okay, which one? Spring Valley. Oh, did you go to that one? Yes, that was the one I was number one sub. <laughs> I subbed there the most. <laughs> that was my favorite. Shout out Spring Valley. But did Valley. you go there in elementary? Yeah, I went to South Bosque. Okay, okay. But I went to Spring Valley a lot last year when I was doing my subbing. Mm. And I made some really good friends and I did some really good artwork with the with the kids. <laughs> I, that's why well, I started listening to your podcast. Yes. Then I started coloring a lot. And then now here we are. So in February 2006, um, this was another uh, another anniversary of Cassidy's death was approaching because she oh. died. She passed away in March of 2000 of 90, whatever year it was in March. Uh-huh. And so this is just. Every every year that they approach the anniversary of the death, Carrie just always kind of got, you know, yeah, sad, right? Yeah. So she sent an email to because they emailed all the time. Her and Matt just emailed back and forth. I guess you don't have. I don't know if we, were we texting at that. Mm, point? I don't know. I don't know. So she sent an email to her husband from her computer, and she said. I feel like I'm just about to die. This might sound crazy, but I think for the first time, I have realized that Cassidy is not coming back. And this was, so this was in February. The messages over the next few weeks were getting like more gloomier and gloomier. And she was telling him that she felt like she was sinking and she was stressed and tired and then the day before the anniversary on March 21st, she sent him a email saying, I cannot get my hands to stop shaking. I haven't felt this bad in a long time. Mm, so it's probably like a little panic. You know, we all know grief is never an easy thing. Clearly. And it never ends. And it d- never ends. And you have to go through the all the holidays and all the special moments and it's just awful awful so this was just kind of you know i feel like that's what you'd go i mean it's the anif- i don't there's know. so much yeah so one it's the anniversary two and then she probably had so much shock like it's like you, unbelievable still and then now it's probably what six years five years later and she's like oh she should be five i can't believe like sometimes right. it takes yeah. a while for it to yeah. actually sink in yeah yeah, and she's probably just 
expressing herself to her husband. Oh. And he probably mm-hmm. uses that against her. Oh. Later. Right. So she, like her best, one of her best friends, Jill Hotz. This was a friend of hers from Dallas. Um, she said that most, most days, like Carrie was cheerful, funny, all these things. And that when March would come around, she would almost like lock herself in her house and like they would get worried about her. So people would just, were always sure to like kind of talk to her more, I guess, around that time. Um, but in late March, Carrie had told her that she and Matt had started getting into these like arguments about their prayers during Cassidy's last like final days. So Matt had prayed and this was in emails. This is how we know this. Mm -hmm. Matt prayed that God would make Cassidy cancer free and let her live. Carrie prayed that Cassidy wouldn't have to bear any more pain that she could handle. Even if that meant for God to take her to heaven. Matt prayed that or Carrie prayed that? Matt. Say it again. Because I think you said it. Okay. Matt prayed that God would make Cassidy cancer free and let her live. Okay. Matt. Carrie prayed that God would not bear any more pain on Cassidy. And even if that meant for God to take her to heaven. Okay. Okay. So she said that Matt lashed out at her for the prayer that she wrote by an email. So he emailed her and he said, um, he said her prayer was one thing that was answered that night and that deep down he holds a grudge against God and her for him answering the prayer and not his prayer for like God answering her Her prayer, prayer. not his prayer. And that in some ways he holds uh, her to blame for Cassidy's death. Oh my. So Carrie's devastated. She's never heard Matt talk to her this way. She is like, something's going on with him. I don't know. He doesn't seem interested in me anymore. He doesn't seem interested in this marriage. And I think it's a genuine way to be like mad and question, right? Right. But I don't think he was genuine in saying it. He, I feel like it was, he was finding a way to blame her. Yes. He was done with her. He wanted to get rid of, like he wanted to not be married to her anymore. And so, yeah, he was starting to like, just be mean, just be mean. And she's also like stressing right at this time. Like, yes. There's something wrong with, there's not, yeah, I am sad, but there's something wrong with my marriage. Yeah. Too. Yeah. He's not acting the same. Correct. So she, yeah, he didn't seem interested in the marriage anymore. He, he, she responded to the email basically saying like that reading that email, it just felt like a knife through my heart. Like, yeah, like, thanks. Like that was awful. So the next day she went to see her therapist and she told her therapist she was in a much better place as far as like go, as far as dealing with the grief of the loss of her daughter. But what was not uh, things were not great at home. And that's what she told her therapist. So now she's ma- probably feeling like anxiety and depressed, maybe over her marriage, not necessarily over the grief of her do- yeah. losing her daughter. Yeah. And so she said that she thought that her husband was no longer in love with her, had no desire to be close to her. He started to like leave the house without saying he loved her. 
and they were not having sex. Uh oh. So Carrie then told her therapist she feared that Matt was having an, an affair. And she said that she found a bottle, a small bottle of unlabeled um, pills in his briefcase. And she said she thought Matt was planning to kill her. I remember that. And this bottle was like, it was like a crush, like the crushed bottle, a crushed pills in the bottle. Okay. Uh That's what this was. So the therapist is shocked. She's like, can you repeat what you just said? So the therapist was shocked. She made Carrie promise to call her the following Friday, April 7th. I guess maybe that was, maybe they didn't have an appointment that next week. And maybe she was like, just call me Uh just to whatever, check in to see if she was still having obsessive thoughts about her husband. That's what, that's what. Oh, obsessive. Like, yeah. Like, are you, are you having an affair? Are you this? Are you this? Are you this? What's going on? And like these emails that they would go back and forth with. I mean, I couldn't handle being on either side. I couldn't No, these people who are like when Carrie is asking questions about, or like finds the stuff, like when she finds the pills and then like brushes it off, the stories that people like Matt tell her are, um, and I can relate, but it's like, Oh, I guess that makes sense. Cause you don't know because what he said was that it was from kids at the youth center and it was stuff that like dr- oh. it was pills that w- were confiscated and that like he guessed it. But here's the thing. He told s- t- too many different stories because mm-hmm. he told Carrie that it was pills from kids at the youth center that they had confiscated from the kids. And that was why it's in his briefcase. But then he didn't tell somebody that it, they were crushed. He told somebody else in an interview that he had no idea about these pills. They must have been something Harry had. It wasn't anything uh, to do with him. So he just makes up all this stuff, and it's, like, crazy. But you can also identify with Carrie of, like, oh, if it sounds logical, then I, I might as well just listen to that, you know? Yeah, like so I'm like, that. I wouldn't know, like, do kids at this Center for Youth have yeah. medications? And, you know... What, what do I call up somebody else who works there? <laughs> well, I will now because that's what I should have done for a million other things yeah. that I didn't, you know, but she probably, I don't know. We could go back and forth all day, but it's April 7th and she never called her therapist that day. She appeared to be everything like normal self. She actually went on an interview at the, at the middle school because she was looking to get a new position there um, that she was super excited about. And so everything seemed like if you're going uh, to a interview for a job, um, that is typically a sign that like you are planning to have a future. Yeah. Yeah. So hours on the same day after she goes and interviews after, at this job and she is sees people at the school and she's talking to her mom how she was it was a great interview she's telling people she's telling coworkers it was great blah 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 she's super excited well on that same day a few minutes after midnight is whenever the 911 operator received the call from Matt saying that I think my wife just committed suicide Paramedics arrive in less than five minutes and find Carrie on the floor, b- 
by the bed. Her lips were blue. On the bedside Ugh. table, they had the bottle of Unisom, and this goes back to the beginning, which Unisom is non-prescription sleeping medication. Uh, it's over. It's not even strong. Yeah, I was going to say, can you even overdose on it that? It takes a ton. Wow. So apparently this pill bottle has 32 pills, and two pills were left, like, by in the bottle, whatever. And that's where they also found the type note and the wine coolers. Because, you know, they're wild. <laughs> so they're like... Matt, the, here, Matt told the officers that Carrie had been talking about suicide for the past two weeks. He said he had no idea that she was serious about it. He said when they got home from the Y, she said she just wasn't feeling good and she seemed super tired and she went to the bathroom to throw up and that he got into bed and they drank some wine coolers and he and Carrie would occasionally drink these like drinks whenever they were at home because they couldn't do it, drink anything in public because, you know, you're the preacher. Yeah. And that he says that she just was like, this is... She was so tired and so sleepy and, you know, she did, the kids were already asleep because I already put them to bed and I gave them their baths and I did this and I I did this and she was so tired and so tired, but she, she's so tired, but then she asks you to go rent a movie and go put gas in the car and then like takes 30 pills. Yeah. So, okay. So this is what he says that she, um, Asked him, hey, go go get this movie. I want to see. I guess she's not tired enough to fall asleep, but she wants to watch a movie or whatever. And so he leaves. He goes and gets the movie. He goes after he puts the girl to bed. He leaves around 1115, stops at the gas station, went to the Hollywood video. Ooh. And picked up the movie and got home a little after midnight. He said the bedroom door was locked. He knocked on it. There was no answer. He used a screwdriver to pry his way in. He found her not breathing just the same way he found their daughter, Cassidy. Oh, my God. He said he found Carrie naked and unresponsive on the bed. Why was she naked now? He just added this. I'm saying he added this in because, like, apparently that was like... so. He said she's naked on the bed. So he calls 911. So he has 911 on the phone. They tell him to do CPR. Well, he says that he wants to put clothes on her because he doesn't want the the EMS people seeing her naked or so he while he's on the phone, how do you how do you pick up a lifeless body and clothe it? And she was thicker. She's 197 pounds. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So she, he says he puts a t-shirt on her and puts underwear on her while he's holding the phone, I guess with the shoulder to his ear on the phone, dresses her, puts her on the bed and supposedly starts doing CPR. Yeah. I was going to say within like seconds, like within a minute, he said he does all that. I remember a CPR part. Like he says that he's doing it, but you can't hear, but he's not breathing. Yeah. Okay. There's like, they just, he says he attempted to give CPR, but fluid came out of her mouth and it covered her face and her hair. And he said he, he said that she wet the bed, but then there was no wet sheets. So you want to save your wife, but yet you're going to clothe her 
before you attempt suicide. I mean, CPR. CPR. Yeah. And and they ruled it a suicide. Yes. And then the note, right, was typed. Yes. No signature. Correct. Oh, my goodness. So, detective, a detective arrived at the baker's home, contacted the justice of the peace, read him the suicide note, and they both agreed, you know, this is a pastor, you know. <laughs> the autopsy is not necessary. It's just not. <gasps> and oh. so the justice of the peace didn't even come to the house because we have no medical. Say his ex- name. Judge, when it Billy Martin, just the piece Billy Martin. Sa- go- yes. So we have no medical examiner here. So that means that, or at this point we did, uh-huh. did not. So that means the justice of the peace is the one who is declaring the death. And typically you're supposed to go to the, I, I'm pretty sure it's, required by law to pronounce somebody dead you gotta like be where they are oh yeah he didn't go to the house he did it over the phone mm-hmm. by the way this is hewitt police department <laughs> i'm just saying that the, the whole controversy of all the stuff we'll get to on part two but the justice of the peace did not come to the house that night as required by law to pronounce Carrie dead. He simply typed on her death certificate, overdose of Unisom sleep aid. Oh my God. So let me finish with this. Um, the funeral was on two. What day was that? Here it is. Judge. Pete, just of a piece, Billy Martin. Billy Martin. He's still around here. He gave me a couple MIPs. <gasps> oh. Or I had to see him, him for some MIPs. Well, they had the funeral like literally two days later. Two. Two. Did they do an, oh, so there was no autopsy. And no. then was it, was she buried or was she cremated? She was remember. buried. Okay. So. Everybody, like it was, everybody knew how Carrie was each spring around the anniversary of her kid's death and that when it came around, how she was. And so this year, apparently, apparently the grief was too much to bear because now everybody is thinking, okay, oh my gosh, I can't believe she committed suicide, but she committed suicide. Like they've ruled this death a suicide and you know Matt's going around and he's just talking about how she was so depressed and how he just didn't know it was that bad he was staging it all he didn't know it was that bad <laughs> apparently this year was just too difficult to bear and you know she just she told me like over and over she wanted to give Cassidy a hug and you know so this this is what happened and so this is this is the tragedy and then Eventually, there was an incident with Linda's uh, niece. Matt had made some weird comments, like asked her. So this would be like Carrie's niece. Yeah. And Matt had gone up to her like, 
at one point and asked, it was probably when their kid was in the hospital. I can't, I think mm-hmm. whenever Cassie was in the hospital. So he, l- he was like, ask her if she, I guess she was wearing a skirt and he was asking her if she had any panties on. Ugh. And he was like, gross ass. So at first it was like, do you have any panties? Are you wearing any panties? And then he was asking her, do you have any panties on? Like, no, like he's concerned that she needs to put some on. Like, no, it was dirty. It was nasty. So that the girl was like, I guess she just ignored it and was like, gross, get away. Tells her mom, which is Carrie's aunt. And then anyways, so the family is knowing about how he is and the, they finally go to the mom. They go to Linda and they're like, Linda, this is not a suicide. This is not a suicide. He did something. Let, let us tell you about these things that he's done that we know about. Linda wasn't having it. And then finally, about three months later, after the death, after going back and forth with the police department, with other, with a private investigator, they finally get to the next phase, which is exhuming the body, getting an autopsy, and talking to the mistress. Oh, there's a side piece. Is that going to be a part two? Part two. Y'all, yes. we hate to do y'all do this to y'all again. It's, you know, we just, I got to go into a lot of detail in this next yes. one. Yes, yes. Because there's a lot. There is a lot. And these people went through it. And My let me goodness. tell you, you don't want to miss it because this is juicy. This, Vanessa... Side piece. Oh, I remember the name Vanessa. She. She's dumbass, right? Like she, she believed him. The got a lot. Bulls. Vanessa Bulls. Yes. I remember finding her on Facebook. She spilled the beans. Okay. So there is a murder, murdering minister, a dead kid, right? Mm-hmm. And he's. About to get away scot-free, yeah. basically, because yep. they ruled it a suicide. Mm-hmm. They had the funeral in two days, which I'm sure he helped plan that. Which, yes. you know, we always talk about, like, white people. Black people wait, like, two weeks, right? Oh. And white people, like, it's, like, within minimum two four days. Is, days. Two days is fast. That like, is quick. But that's a lot it to been get together. Like, it you is. You have to go get, so, like... You can't even like fathom like what happened, and you're having oh. to like. And then in plan. like weeks, he got he got rid of all of her stuff. Like there was not even a picture left of her in the house. He mm. and then he starts to alienate her family, right? Yes, and the kids. Yep, y'all. There's so much more left. Oof. I promise, I'm not going to reread the book in between because I got to <laughs> do some research for next month. But stay tuned. Don't watch a documentary. Don't listen to a podcast. Don't read a Texas Monthly. Just don't, don't let do your mouth water. Yeah, let your mouth water. And, oh, by the way, the, so- well, I guess I can tell the sources on the next episode. No. Yeah, tell us oh. Tell us the um, book because it's a great book. Yeah, the book is called Deadly Little Secrets, and it's by Catherine Casey. She's legit. <clears throat> and don't 
Y'all be thinking mm-hmm. I actually read the book. I listened to the book. It counts. And it does count. So I did read the book. Um, Catherine Casey, if you just love reading true crime or reading, she does. And Rule said it was one of the best. It is. She does Texas true crime stories. Some of small cases you've never heard of and some major cases. I've probably read about five of them, four or five of them. And we'll eventually do a story on all of them because they're so good. But Caroline, that was so <gasps> juicy. Okay. And so in the meantime, I'm working on getting some people whose boots were on the ground during this case because they're right here. They're, yeah. Yeah. They're like walking around with this. They're probably at Nymphus. Yeah. They're probably sitting right next. They're probably the next down the street. Yeah. Um, and that way we can get a Q&A going with some of them. Anyways, in the meantime, don't forget to stay aware, stay alive, and always be DTF. Down to fine. I feel like Linda D. Linda Linda Doolin was down. Linda to Linda Doolin was down. Don't hey, and if you want to help us out, don't forget you need to RRS rate, review, and subscribe, and share the podcast if you want to share all the things Waco, share it with your people. See y'all. Bye. From my ear holes. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.